Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. This is Match Week 22. My name is Braden, and I am here with my co-host, brother, playboy, billionaire, philanthropist, <laughs> Ethan Schwartz. What's up? And this week, we had our first one versus two clash of the season. Actually, that's not true. We might have had like a, an early season one that I forgot about. Like, I don't know. Fucking Arsenal versus like Newcastle or something. I don't know. It, it definitely wasn't that. Maybe we might have had like a one-two clash, but like after match week two or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe like alphabetically in like the first yeah, week yeah. of the season. <laughs> if, if Villa played Arsenal first week, maybe. Yeah. Um, so we got that to talk about. Um, obviously a lot of other content to talk about. One and a half, I guess you could say. One point, one, three match weeks we got through. Um, but before we get into that, um, the story that has been going around a lot that we haven't necessarily touched on yet. Um, that is could sneakily be one of the stories of the season if it comes to fruition, is the. Alleged Man City fair play breach. And I, I, I've done a decent amount of research on it. Obviously, as an Arsenal fan, it's, uh, it could make or break our season. Um, I wouldn't want it to. I'd kind of want it to play out the way you know, God intended. But um, some of the sanctions that have gotten, gotten thrown out include relegation, not just from the Premier League, but from the entire professional EFL pyramid down to the National League one um, points deductions, heavy fines, um, strips of former titles and reassigning of titles to their second place teams on their respective years, which would be just chaotic for <laughs> football Twitter. Let me tell you seven. It would be like six Premier League championship parades going on at once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been it's and it's just so tough to get a grasp on all these allegations, you know, City's been charged before by UEFA. Um, It's just so tough to gauge how serious any of it is because in the back of your head, you're like, this just looks like they're trying to like make an example of them. And then they'll say like, ah, don't do it again. And then nothing will happen. They'll pay fines, which is basically nothing happened. But I, this one, I don't know. They're the media is making it out to seem like it's going to come to, fruition for them yeah for me it's the sheer number of charges that they're being investigated for i think it was like over a hundred different breaches (laughs) now obviously all of the they can be grouped to some extent i think it's really just like four main charges that are being brought against them one is about the premier league's like financial rules and about how they didn't like fully disclose like their profits or revenue um how like they didn't have i think maybe like mancini like the payment of either mancini or maybe uh manuel pellegrini like the payment of those managers on the books something like that but the fact that there's like four different categories of charges and the fact that i think i've seen that the premier league's been doing this investigation for about like four years so this has been a long process to get to this point where the premier league's comfortable saying like we think you did this so Hmm. prove that you didn't basically Uh, and one of the weird one of the not weird but interesting things is that when um i I believe this is true that and you can fact check me on this but when man city got charged by uefa uh 
they were allowed to bring it to a international governing sport body for um appeal mm-hmm. and under FA rules you cannot do that so if city get charged that's it there's no appeal there's no nothing they must suffer the consequences which is what is leading me to believe that city could very well get relegated from the premier league now look the logical person in me looks at this and says the Premier League wouldn't do this. Premier League shareholders would never let City get relegated. It is too much of a revenue generator for the league. If they removed one of, if not the best club in the world, one of the best clubs in the world from the top league just for them to return three years later and just sacrificing three years of revenue or something, it'd just be silly. And and it's stupid that they can probably, look, they probably fucking did it. Let's be honest. Yeah. They, they, they probably fucking did it. But they can't. They're too big to fail. They're too big to to get to get sent down for something like this. My guess is, FA will make up some story and find them heavily. Uh, not even a points deduction because that would kind of ruin ratings for the rest of the season with a title chase, you know, heating up. So, yeah, I I'm firmly in the stance that nothing is really going to happen more than maybe some heavy fines, but. I don't know. It's just it's a tough it's a tough dilemma because now you're basically saying if City are guilty, you're basically saying the financial fair play rules are bullshit and you can break them whenever you want as long as you're okay with paying the fines. Which I don't know. Personally, I think that because this whole thing goes so deep and that it's been happening for so long, pretty much since the takeover from the Abu Dhabi investors in 2008 this has pretty much been going on I think that if they are found guilty I think the Premier League will dish out some harsher punishments I don't think there will be any real fines involved I mean what's the point of fining a club that has you know infinitely deep pockets I think relegation could definitely be on the cards definitely um I don't know if they have the power to suspend them from European play, I guess the Premier League can dictate who goes. So yeah. maybe they have that power, but I don't think it'll be I think it will be one extreme or the other. If either City are found not guilty and nothing happens or City are found guilty of this and get some title strip to get relegated, get big point deduction depending upon I could see the where yeah, this I happens. can see the titles getting stripped before I could I could see the titles getting stripped before getting relegated, because relegation is a huge sacrifice of profits, and I don't know if I could really see that from a shareholder perspective. But who knows? If they really get if they get relegated, that'd be pretty fucking funny. Uh, not yeah. good for competition in the league, but that would be pretty <laughs> hilarious if they if they actually fuck up that bad. And guess what? Nobody would fucking do it again. That's that's the positive. Yeah. The negative is that you're sacrificing profits, mm-hmm. but the positive is that if you really want to, you know bring down the hammer on financial fair play that's fucking people will shut up and listen now so yeah and holland would be the first ever player to score 100 goals in a championship season. <laughs> 100 goals in a season yeah, yeah, yeah he'll break messi's goal record that's what yeah. i'm standing up for i hope they don't do it for messi's goal record yeah <laughs> anyway we have some match week 23 content to cover starting off with a worst team wins update from ethan yeah so this is a pretty, I guess, bad week because our teams performed pretty well. So, yeah, yeah a bad week for both of us. But as per usual, it was just slightly worse for you. 
Your team, Jesus, tied for our top bins, had 49 points, and my team, Garnacho Cheese, had 38 points. Sokka was a big performer for my team, but Holland scored, Nunez had an assist, Madison a goal and an assist, Mares, I think, yeah, scored Madison's too. Madison's killing me, man. Ma- Madison yeah. is like probably up there with points with Holland. Like They are just fucking destroying me this season. Yeah, we're going to get into Madison once we talk about the uh, Leicester Spurs game, so yeah. we'll hold off on that for now. But that brings the season tally for Braden's team. It's 860, and for my team, 685. So I feel like last couple weeks, it's been two steps forward. This was one step back for yeah. you, maybe. Yeah, if you don't know what the worst team wins update is, it is a season-long competition between me and Ethan, FPL style. We each built... 80 million pounds worth of teams that we thought would perform the worst. And over the course of the season, whoever's team performed worse through injuries, through bad form, whatever, through transfers, even um, they would be the winner. I, I think the forfeit we decided on was um, I have to like buy a Jersey of your worst performing player. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, that might've been what we decided on. I might've worst performing players or best performing player. <laughs> Worst performing player as a yeah. tribute to a player on your team that did you the most service over the course of the season. True. If you get the best player, it may be Sokka, and that's just going to be a tribute to you. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, anyway, yeah, I'm currently getting my ass kicked, but, you know, long season. So, slightly shorter now, but long season. Anyways, on to our match coverage, starting off with a pretty spicy encounter between Leicester and Spurs, finishing Leicester 4 Spurs won. Bentoncourt opening it up in the 14th. The recipient of a decent amount of uh, pressure that Tottenham started the game with. A couple successive corners. Ball ping-pongs in, in front of the goal and finds Bentoncourt for one nothing. And then Mendy equalizes in the 23rd with an absolute howitzer. Um, his second professional goal, not for Leicester in his entire career. Oh, really? Um, yes. <laughs> he has two goals as a professional soccer player that was one of them um and then as spencer fc would say the dirty double comes in the 25th minute madison on the counter attack and then ianacho in the 45th plus four right before halftime kind of just like dances in front of eric dyer who is just very just cow like when he goes 1v1 against any uh, <laughs> uh offensive player and he left a far post open and Ianacho slides it past Lloris for 3-1. And then Barnes scores a similar goal to Ianacho where he kind of just dances, gets it onto his favorite foot. I, I don't know what film they're watching exactly, but like they're kind of just letting him cut letting Harvey Barnes cut onto his right foot. Um similarly in the in the goal that got chalked off, they kind of just, you know. I, I I just feel like Barnes always has his right foot available. Maybe he's just that quick, but like should, we should be forcing this dude onto his left. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Anyways, Barnes scores in the 81st to make it 4-1 and absolutely seals a very, very nice performance, a nice three points for Leicester City when those performances have been few and far between this season. But it feels like they've hit some kind of form, Ethan. Yeah, definitely. And this, this is the... I said a minute ago that i talk about madison once we got to leicester and i i'm ready to make the claim that madison may be the most single important player in the premier league for their respective team <laughs> meaning like the difference between leicester with and without madison may be the greatest difference of any team 
with or without a single player because this Leicester team just they were sputtering so much while Madison was injured. As soon as he's come back in the team, mind you, they have brought in a couple of very nice uh, January transfers. I mentioned a podcast or two ago that was very impressed with what they did in the January transfer window. But nonetheless, that coinciding with Madison being back in this team, Leicester have hit the ground running. Four goals against Villa, four goals against Tottenham. Another commanding performance that Madison was at the very heart of. I mean, he just, he runs the show for Leicester. And they just look back at their best whenever he's on the field. So they'll be very lucky to have him back in the team. And Leicester are one of those clubs that always seem to be similarly to Brighton. They invest, you know, into in the young players and then sell them on to the bigger Premier League clubs for giant fees. And they usually seem to do all right. Similarly, a brain, no matter who they get rid of, they always seem to find a replacement, seem to get back on their feet. Maybe this year was an exception, but if they sell Madison to a big club, I'm honestly not so sure they'll bounce back. I think yeah. they desperately need them. Because Especially if they let Telemans go too in the summer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Telemans hasn't signed a new contract. I haven't heard any talks about that. So he could definitely be gone for free this summer. So they'll desperately be trying to hold on to James Madison. And these types of performances are exactly why. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, um, I agree. <laughs> as much as I hate to admit it because I picked him to be one of the flops of the season, preseason. Um, yeah, he's... There's there's a reason England England international fans were you know calling for him to start in the World Cup is because he has just been on fire. He is really displaying the talent that he has, um, and I I can't necessarily disagree with that. But that uh that take there that he is like kind of like the most valuable player to their team. Um, obviously not the most valuable player in the league, but mm-hmm. to their team, uh. It's it's tough to argue, seriously. Um, maybe Alexander Mitrovic is up there too, but it, it just it just seems that when Madison is in form, the team just can't be stopped. Like it yeah. doesn't matter who they're playing, they just play with this you know swagger, and that they could just cut through, especially with those guys up top that are so difficult to defend at times, like Harvey Barnes. Like it just it they they play really good flowing soccer, and credit to the Leicester board. For kind of just sticking with Brendan Rodgers because you know are they fully back to their you know peak form? No, but I we were looking at some of these less performances early in the season and saying like I don't know where they even go from here. And he has rebounded very nicely, found a a starting eleven that works. He's been working with a lot of injuries too. He's been working with fucking center backs scoring own goals. Like he he yeah. he's has to deal with a lot of shit. And they have bounced back currently um, sitting, you know, where they should be considering their start 13th on 22. But, you know, we were talking about relegation earlier in the season and now they're, you know, quite clear of that. But with this form, they could end up certainly top half of the table. Um, yeah, with the but, with the type of form that mid-table clubs go on just like the volatility of that they could easily with the if they string together another 
two, three wins, they could see themselves, you know, pushing for top half easily. Yeah. 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 Um, and they certainly have the talent. Like, and Didi, Madison, Tielemans, Barnes, Ian Nacho's been on form. They still got Jamie Vardy up there. Like, our, their center backs are pretty shaky, but uh, Sayonchi was coming back from a serious injury. Once he gets back, their fucking Danny Ward is. I'm surprised they didn't go for a goalkeeper in the window because that guy is pretty shambolic. He's recovered okay, but like he, yeah, <laughs> during their during their poor form, he was like just very hard to watch. Um, but yeah, defensively they've had some woes. You know, Castiles has the uh, uh not Castiles, not Castiles, Castagna, Castiles is yeah. the goalkeeper for Wolfsburg, Castagna. Yeah. He's been good going forward, but not fantastic defensively. Um, they've had some defensive woes, and they continue to have defensive woes. But up top, they're fucking. You know, when they're on their game, they're as good as anyone. So. Yeah, uh, I credit to Lester, credit to the board for sticking with Brendan Rodgers. I, I I, thought that his seat was hot, but I thought that he could easily get fired, but I also thought that he kind of deserves to, to have it stuck out. He's he's done great things with this Lester team, and uh, I'm glad to see him back at almost their best, at least on one half of the field. Yeah. That being said, there was a second team in this match that <laughs> it did not play so well. Hard to believe and, that there uh, was another team in this match, but there was. <laughs> it didn't seem like it, but... Uh, yeah. Tottenham Hotspur, one of their worst performances of the season. They not not only did they lose four one, but they were mm, Harvey Barnes toenail away from it being five. Um, so I, this is it, it's just a tough spot for Spurs. You know, it just Pedro Porro looked like shit. Basuma's looked like shit. Perisic did not have a good game. Like th- these are the guys that they banked their 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 window mm. on, and they just come have not come in. And made a difference. Conte's seat heats up a little bit. I know a lot of fans are getting frustrated with these tactics. It, they just seem like this like Crystal Palace with more talent. Where like, oh shit, when when Man City come to town, they'll get up for the game and they'll beat them four two. But then when they go to Leicester City, they'll just look fucking terrible and lose four one. Like that's exactly what Crystal Palace does. Yeah, uh, it's just. I don't know. It, it, their inconsistency is, is just very, very concerning. And with some of the strengths of some of the teams in this league right now, Arsenal, Man City, Man United hitting form, um, Newcastle not letting in a goal in fucking 36 years. Like, it's it's very tough to crack this top four. And when you're playing, when you're putting in 90 minutes like this, it, it certainly doesn't make it any easier. Yeah, I, I really like the... I'm looking at their form over the course of the season and this crystal palace analogy is very very accurate because look at these last six games three wins three losses they've never since since like the eighth match week they haven't strung together more than three games without a loss but they've only lost two games back to back once it usually just goes loss win loss maybe couple wins but yeah it's just a very inconsistent spurs team yeah but they are right up there in the top four race they're newcastle have a game at hand on them but newcastle really aren't doing that much at the moment they're not conceding goals but they're not really scoring many either so with so much of the season left to go Tottenham are right there to push for the top four but it just doesn't look like they're playing with ambition and I think yeah. what Spurs need to get back into the top four is just to find an identity. Maybe not their original Conte identity, 
but just something because I have no idea how the Spurs team is supposed to play. At the beginning of the season when you know they were playing really well and we thought that you know they could maybe even be in the title race like those first 6 7 weeks they were playing the same style. They were just sitting back, being extremely rigid defensively and playing their classic counterattacking style with Kane and Son and Kulisevsky. And yep. now it really seems like Kane's the only one pitching in on that front line. Yep. Son's been ghosting. Kulisevsky's been playing well, but hasn't had the final product. And, and they, won, they won possession in this game against Leicester. <laughs> they had more of the possession. Which there you go. That's why they lost. Would, yeah, exactly. <laughs> which wouldn't suit their normal style. But I don't know what their normal style plays anymore. It doesn't really seem like they know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> These games are just often complete and utter chaos. So <laughs> they just need some consistency in the way they play. And once they find a way to play, maybe they can actually try to perfect it like they did in the beginning of the season. And Go from there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we kind of said it all between the two of us. Like, just inconsistencies, lack of individual consistencies as well, both defensively and offensively. You know, signings haven't really showed up. They fucking loaned out Jed Spence, who I thought was going to be one of their best signings. They fucking loaned his ass out because they didn't want to <laughs> play him. Fucking Ed, uh, was it? Emerson's been brutal. He's been better recently, but for the most part, he's been brutal. No, against, against Sydney, yeah, yeah, he yeah. was phenomenal but like Pedro Poro had a poor game like Ben Duck uh, yeah. what's his name Basuma had a poor game like it's just mm-hmm. and now Benton cores out for the season he's been really one of the more consistent players wow I didn't yeah even, I don't know if you saw I didn't that see that wow yeah done <laughs> that's brutal because now their defense is now their midfield is just white bear so anyway yeah we move on to the second game that we're covering this week Liverpool 2 Everton nil Salah opening it up off a very smooth counterattack, very hasty counterattack from Darwin Nunez picking the ball up, beating his man and clipping it into Salah Pickford standing somewhere questionable. Um, I think Salah might have had either post to shoot at, like from where he made contact with the ball. Yeah, he. I don't think there was a part of the goal that was covered, and the ball finds the back of the net, obviously. In the 36 minutes, make it one nothing, and then Tarkowski sabotage. I don't know if you saw the slow mo of this goal, but he sticks his foot out and then pulls it back. For uh, the reason that I could think yeah. of is that maybe he thought the goalkeeper was behind him and was going to pick it up, or there was somebody who was in a better spot, or he was afraid to put it in his own yeah. net. I don't know. Tarkowski doesn't seem like the one to be anti mm-hmm. when in doubt, get it out. But in in this particular case, he. Pulled his leg back, let it run through, and Gakpo had a very, very simple finish for his first, I believe, first Premier League goal. Um, first Liverpool, first Liverpool goal. goal um, in the 49th, and it would finish 2-0 to the Reds at home in the Merseyside, Merseyside Derby. I always say Merseyside. Merseyside Derby. <laughs> um, but I, I just feel that this game was managed very poorly. From uh, from Sean Dyche, which is odd because the last game was managed so very well against Arsenal. Yeah, uh, Everton, Everton's press I guess worked against Arsenal because Arsenal just had an off game and Everton mm-hmm. could pick up the ball. They had a very very aggressive midfield with Onana and Gay. Uh, Gay. Um, 
it just it was confusing when Everton's press it, it just allowed Liverpool to play through them so easily. I guess it just wasn't as Liverpool was just better on the day with the press break. Um, but when Everton did press and Liverpool got through, it was like so easy. That, that's how they got their second goal. Like mm-hmm. it was just back to front, so simple. Um, and that's how they generated a lot of their chances. Obviously, the first goal came off a, a corner kick, and it was just the pace of Darwin Nunez that kind of was lethal there. But I, I just didn't. I don't. And look, I, Everton got their chances in this game. Tarkowski hit the post right before um, Nunes came down, I believe, to score. So, mm-hmm. or not to score, to assist Salah. But it, it, I just don't love the the way this game was managed from Everton's point of view. I, it doesn't even like Sean Dyche really isn't even a press manager. Like uh, it kind of caught me by surprise in the Arsenal game. It certainly caught me by surprise today, um, or on Monday against Liverpool. So yeah, I I don't love the way it was managed. Obviously, Liverpool is a lot more talented, but again, not on good form. Um, it always seems like Liverpool might win this game. I think I had nil nil. <laughs> um, but it, it it just I don't know. I didn't love the way Everton handled it. But credit to Liverpool for taking their chances. Um, they certainly needed this one pretty badly. Yeah, I thought Everton really didn't pick their moments well in terms of pressing. I thought that's what they did really well in the Arsenal game. Is that at times they sat very deep and were impossible to play through. But they picked their moments well when Arsenal weren't moving the ball too quickly and they slowly got themselves up the field and then closed down the passing lanes. It didn't seem quite as organized in this game. They seemed like they just, again, just weren't pressing with that same organization or they were just choosing the wrong times when Liverpool were already in the midfield and then they decided to try and press and the gaps were already being left open. Uh, I thought that the way they play against Arsenal didn't really suit uh, playing against this Liverpool team because of, I mean, I put in notes here that they kind of, that Liverpool overloaded Salah's side, not necessarily specifically for this. I mean, with Trent Alexander-Arnold and Salah, yeah. Alexander-Arnold already plays so high up the field. And in the Everton game, when Saka was getting on the ball, you had both Mikalenko and McNeil just getting right on top of him. And usually Ben White was a little bit more stagnant or he was just sitting behind Saka and there wasn't really that much for Saka to do. But in this case, uh, Alexander Arnold was always moving up and down the wings and it was very difficult for McNeil and Mikalenko to be able to double team Salah because they always had to deal with Alexander Arnold on the right-hand side. And I think that led to both Alexander Arnold and Salah having a bit more freedom. They're able to be a bit more direct. But overall, this seemed like a really vintage Liverpool performance, yeah. just in the way they counterattacked with just such speed, such poise. Again, right through the middle of the field, they were very direct. They created a lot of chances, which as an Arsenal fan and seeing the amount of space that was out on the field in the Merseyside yeah. derby, I was very jealous <laughs> at the openings every time we're allowing them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, hope for Liverpool... They'll certainly be hoping this is a sign of for things to come. Just as I predicted, the Anfield atmosphere was electric, similar to the way that the Everton fans got up for the Arsenal yeah. game. Liverpool knew that this was a big game, a derby, a chance for them to get back on track, and they certainly did that. Cody Gakpo got on the score sheet, escaped yeah. the 007 memes. <laughs> as I've seen on uh, 
social media. Mudrick's was up next for game? those. I think this was the seventh game. Oh, I have wow. to believe. By the skin of I'm his doing, teeth. <laughs> I'm doing the math in my head. And I mean, if he made his debut in like the first week of January, then he was getting up there. He was getting close. So yeah. I hope much I hope Mudrick does it, man. He deserves it. He's he, yeah. he, he he's earned it. Uh, Mudrick anyway, still got yeah, a couple I, of games to go, though. <laughs> he's got time. Um, yeah, this was this couldn't have gone better for Liverpool. They, they needed this one. If they if they drop points to Everton at home, it could have spiraled a little bit. But to, this is definitely a, a nice first step to getting back on the right track for them. And everybody knows that they have it in them to get back on the right track. It's just been very concerning some of the performances they put in. And this is again just a nice step forward. Um, for Everton, obviously taking a point at Anfield. It's found money every single year for Everton, so I can't really be too upset at dropping all three. But again, it wasn't like Everton were completely, you know, nothing in this game. They certainly might have been under Lampard, but uh, I think this is not something to, you know, say, oh, Everton are back to being Everton. Uh, I think they still got a little more left in them this season. And with that, we will move on to the game. Certainly, so far this season, Arsenal won, Manchester City three. Ars- uh, Man City officially take the top spot in the Premier League for the first time since fucking God knows when. Probably uh, they might have Arsenal might have been on, up top for the whole season. I, like I don't even. I think yeah. City might have been away, up top on goal difference for the first couple match weeks, but. Certainly since the first five match weeks, Arsenal have, Arsenal been, have been top of the table since the third match week. Third match week. Yeah. So for 20 match weeks, we've seen Arsenal at the top of the table. Now Arsenal do have a game in hand, but it's official that they have lost their grip on the on the pole position in the Premier League. And it started off in the 24th minute with a poor, poor... Tomiyasu back pass and a very, very good Kevin De Bruyne finish on his quote unquote weak foot. Um loops it over the uh on rushing Ramsdale, hoping to, you know, bail his teammate out. Was not f- so fortunate. And, you know, Odegaard comes over, pats him on the back. The classic Arsenal response this season. The fans say, let's go. Especially to this point in the game, they've, you know. They weren't terrible. They were they were the one asking a lot of the questions. Um and Arsenal responded. They responded with a good amount of pressure. It led to a Bukayo Saka penalty in the forty second minute. Now I I'm gonna pause the match review to kind of get each other's take on this. I'll start with yours, but uh penalty or no penalty. I'm saying penalty in in this case. I've seen it I've seen it before where if a keeper makes contact with the player after the shot is gone that they don't really call it. And mm-hmm. I'll say that this is a tough one to call, definitely. But I think it was just that the contact was so egregious. The ball was pretty far gone by this point. And the fact that Ederson just completely takes him out, maybe aesthetically it looks worse than yeah. it actually is. But I don't think I can necessarily argue with the call. If they didn't call it, I obviously, as an Arsenal fan, I would have been upset. But I couldn't say that precedent 
didn't factor into it. Yeah. It's certainly been called in either direction historically. So I can't from if I'm coming from a completely uh objective point of view, I don't think you could say it's the wrong call. I I agree. I mean, I think it's often in the Premier League that keepers get a little more um leeway with contact. Um obviously if they take mm-hmm. somebody out when they're throwing goal, it's you know, an easy call, yeah. but uh Especially after the shot, it's after after a shot, it's very tough to get that call. I, I've seen a lot of times where, you know, defenders slide in to like block a shot. Yeah. The shot ends up getting off, it goes wide. They take out all of the man, like just completely take him out, and there's no call because they got the shot off. So I'm not entirely sure what the rule is on that. Mm-hmm. But this one is a penalty for me. He goes right through Enketia. Like right through Enketia. He yeah. completely takes him out. The ball goes on target. You know, uh, if the ball goes wide, maybe you're like, okay, like it didn't have an effect on the play, but the ball stays in play. Yeah. Like uh, this one's a penalty. It, it just is. And I don't, I, if you're a Man City fan, I don't know how you could argue that. He completely takes out Nketiah. If, if there was, if there was less contact than that, uh, you can't give it, but there was so much contact. He completely took him out, took him off his feet. I, I don't know how you don't give that. So credit to Anthony Taylor. I mean, I if you're just thinking... Right. If you're just thinking about it logically, a keeper shouldn't be able to just take yeah, out yeah, a yeah. player without any consequence. And exactly, I know I, I agree think it gets, with yeah. how it was refereed, but like mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly what the rule is. Yeah, and neither am I. But yeah, again, if you just think about it from a logical perspective, like Ederson took out Enketia just about as much as any keeper could in that sort of scenario, yeah. and yeah. a keeper shouldn't be able to just do that without any consequence because then if they don't call that then keepers can just rush out with as much pace and power as they want and just throw themselves exactly. at the attacker hopefully they get the ball if they don't well so be it <laughs> yeah anyways it goes into halftime 1-1 arsenal fans saying to themselves it could be worse but it should be better and then in the second half man city kind of hits another gear they just when they get the ball, they're so ruthless. And it leads to the Jack Grealish goal in the 72nd, which was off of a giveaway in, in the defensive half, which was kind of characteristic of this Arsenal team on the day, unfortunately. Um, but the move to the build up to it was just phenomenal. Gundawan, incredible vision to kind of just see Grealish, draw the, the, the defender, kind of move it onto him, and then. You know, Tamiyasu having to <laughs> deflect it, obviously, because it just wasn't his day. Um, but it was more of the move, less of the finish that, that got him there. And then Holland sealing it in the 82nd with a classic, you know, how, how do I say, like, just striker's finish. Get, get the ball yeah. in, get it out of your feet. Like, you don't, when it's that close... In the penalty box, it doesn't need to be placed perfectly. It just needs to be gotten out quickly and yeah. gotten not at the keeper, and that's what and that's what he did. And he's such yeah. a good striker. Like I, he is such a good striker, and that's that's what good strikers do. They get the ball out of their feet, and they they seal games for you. And it finishes three one to Manchester City. A incredible, incredible result for Manchester City, considering the state of the title race. Absolutely throwing a monkey wrench into Arsenal's plans of sitting on a lead for the 
majority of the season a five point eight point lead. Um, they they were just they were just better. They were, it's it's one of those you know, where like, as an Arsenal fan, you're looking at the way Arsenal played and you're like, they played fine. They played well enough to get a result in this game. It just remi- it reminds me a lot of the Manchester United game away in the beginning of the season. Their first loss, the first time dropping points of the entire season. But you're like, yeah, they lost 3-1, and if you look at the stats, they lost on shots, they lost on corners. But if you look at the game, like, in an alternate universe, they, they, they might have just won this game. And if you ask them a United fan, they'd probably call you crazy for saying that. But it just, in an alternate universe, couple things go the other way. Tommy Ossie doesn't pass the ball back, and Ketia scores his free header, which... You know, an on-form Eddie and Ketia, somewhat on-form Eddie and Ketia, probably puts that away nine times out of ten. It's a different ball game, and it it just it it just wasn't Arsenal's day. And did they play poorly? They didn't play their best. But guess what? They didn't have Party, who, by the way, I don't know if you saw that that graphic of the games Party's missed, but like some of the worst performances over the last two years, we haven't had Thomas Party. Like Newcastle away at the end of last season, uh, Manchester United away this season. The last game he missed was Manchester United away of this season, and of course now he misses the biggest game of the last ten years in the league for Arsenal. Um, but he's just such a linchpin. And Jorginho had a good game, but he he only hmm. you know contributed half of what Party contributed. And that was his ball progression. The other half is defensive stability and rigidity. And Jorginho just he just couldn't do that. And it's not his fault. He he's not Thomas Party. Thomas Party's been brilliant this season, but they didn't have Thomas Party. It's tough to say whether the Ben White thing was a fitness issue, or he mm-hmm. just didn't like the way Ben White was playing. I would find it very very hard to believe that you know on the four Martinelli's in that they would keep Martinelli and drop Ben White because Ben White's been hasn't been great, but he's been fine. And Tommy Asu yeah. he's played recently hasn't been good, but um yeah. To, it, no Ben White, no Party, and obviously no uh, Gabriel Jesus. This is the worst Arsenal eleven of the season in the in the most important game, and it, it's it just wasn't their day even. Yeah, the the best way I can put it is that this game was obviously a test of Arsenal's credentials as title contenders, and they didn't play badly necessarily, but they didn't prove that they were ready to win a title maybe they proved that they could be title contenders maybe but that they could get in the top four but they didn't prove necessarily that they were ready to win the title and i'm not saying that i think man c is gonna win the title now i honestly don't know recency bias is always out there City could sputter this weekend and Arsenal could win big and everyone's going to be back on the Arsenal bandwagon. It changes all so quickly in the Premier League. But Arsenal did not look like a team that was ready to win a title. They were just too sloppy on the ball and City looked like a team that has won three of the last four titles with the way that they were just so ruthless. and. There were so many times in this game where I'm, I was just thinking that this is just unfair. First of all, the Tomiyasu pass. I've never felt yeah. so betrayed and helpless by a goal <laughs> that Arsenal have conceded. Because 
I, I absolutely love Takahiro Tamiyasu. And the reason I love him is because so many Arsenal right backs of the past seven years that I've, you know, that I've been a diehard Arsenal fan have just done so many stupid things. And I love Tommy Austin because he doesn't do stupid shit. And then he he made one of the worst back passes I've ever seen. And it wasn't the pass in itself. It was the decision to pass. Because that is an extremely yeah. difficult pass to pull off. Yeah. And I don't know why he tried to do it. He didn't have a look up. He didn't see De Bruyne coming. But nonetheless, like on your weak foot, the ball was waist tight. Why are you trying that? Just take a touch. Try to wrap your hips, boo it out of play. Maybe if you take a touch and it's back on, you play the pass. But there were so many things he could have done other than that. So that was really disappointing to see. And the other thing is just that City won this game without really playing their game, really. Like, yes, they had some great moments, the second and third goal, where they had the classic City link-up play, ball movement, and they scored a great goal. But for the majority of this game, Arsenal were had a really good defensive shape, pressing very well, and Ederson was booting it long. It almost seems unfair that one of the best teams in possession in the entire world has Erling Holland, who if they want to, they can just boot it up and most of the time yeah. something will happen. Like Arsenal were inches away from conceding a penalty just because they hoofed the ball long and <laughs> Holland just bullied the shit out of Gabriel and Gabriel had to drag him down. So, yeah, at, at times when I'm seeing the ball go in over the top and it caused Arsenal so many problems, I'm like, how do you compete with a team like this that, can, that just has the best of both worlds in yeah. so many scenarios? And, yeah, it, it was a tough watch and a harsh reality check for Arsenal fans, but that doesn't mean they should necessarily be devoid of all hope now. But definitely devoid of some momentum yeah um <clears throat> i'm gonna make a, a little psa to arsenal fans because i, I think it I, I think arsenal fans deserve to be calmed down at a moment like this arsenal fans need to understand that this arsenal team is the best are is the best team in the premier league this season I, I'm, i'll say it again this Arsenal team is the best team in the Premier League. Despite what's happened in the last couple of games, despite what happened last night, this Arsenal team is the best team in the Premier League. We are, you know, recency bias is just incredibly dangerous in, in the Premier League. It's so easy to, to just write off a team because of a couple of bad games. But they drop points to Brentford because of, VIVAR guy who has since been relieved of his duties forgot to draw a line this like this team was torching the league in the first 10 weeks of the season torching them it going into October going into the the World Cup they were fantastic and then they lost one of their best players undisputably one of their best players in Gabriel Jesus and me as an Arsenal fan said, I think that'll do it. I, I, I think that'll do it. But Eddie Ketia stepped up. The rest of the players stepped up. And they proved that that didn't do it. And they proved to me that that didn't do it. And when, they're gonna, when they get Gabriel Jesus back, 
Like I think Arsenal, you're asking me, Arsenal are going to be Premier League champions in May. They are the best team in the league. I think it's easy to, to look at the, this game isolated and say, well, look, 3-1. Man City's clearly the better team. Over the course of the next 16 games, they will get the better of Arsenal. City will win the league by five points. <clears throat> and we'll, say, we'll forever be saying what could have been for Arsenal. I don't think that's going to be the case. When Arsenal get party back, when Arsenal, obviously, not obviously, but hopefully put Ben White into the starting 11, and when they get Gabriel Jesus back, let's not forget, this whole Martin Odegaard player of the season campaign started once Jesus got injured because Jesus was the guy that was doing all of that. He was the one breaking lines. He was the one feeding the wingers. Odegaard was very good, but he was, he, Jesus was the, like, was my player of the season going into the, the um, World Cup break. And then he hurts his, his ACL and I, I, I really thought it was going to derail this team. Look, we've gotten Everything we can ask for from Eddie and Katia. Everything. He could he could step on the field and have zero touches for the next two games before Jesus comes back. And we've still gotten more than enough from Eddie and Katia because I, I didn't believe in him before this. But he's shown me he, he is very capable. But he ain't Gabriel Jesus. When Gabriel Jesus comes back into this team, mark my words, it is going to be a very, very different team. That being said, it was an ACL injury. And ACL injuries notoriously have derailed careers. So let's let's... I'll I'll stop myself and say if Gabriel Jesus comes back and is the same Gabriel Jesus <clears throat> as he was pre World Cup, this is a completely different team, and they could go right back to absolutely torching the league again, absolutely torching it. They got Man City away, and if they get Man City away with their full eleven, I'm talking Zinchenko, Party, Jesus, Odegaard, Saka, all healthy. Hopefully Martinelli regains form too because he was part of the reason they were doing so well. Um. This team will win the Premier League come May. And look, this is the youngest team in the history of the Premier League. Like, one of the youngest teams in the history of the Premier League. They were never going to win the league by 10 points. They were on pace to be Centurions through 19 games. That was never going to happen. This is a young team. We saw what happened at the end of last season when the lights were brightest. They shut down. They're going to have shutdown games. Excuse me. They're going to have shutdown games. You need to let it take its course. I believe in Arteta. I believe in these guys. They're so, so talented. They're playing so, so well. They are the best team in the league, and they will prove it over the next 16 games. Thoughts? Concerns? Questions? No, I think I'm just going to let that monologue sit there. I don't <laughs> want to add too much to that. I think I'm just going to let the uh, let the listeners soak that in. I don't want to... Clearly, you were on your soapbox a little there, so I'm just going to that, <laughs> leave that alone. I, I feel like it needs to be said because Arsenal Twitter was a somber place to be last night. And it, it frustrated me because this Arsenal team has earned more than that, personally. Mm-hmm. That being said, City were brilliant. City were champions last night. They, 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 they played like, uh, like a team that is just vintage champions. The team that has won for the last five Premier League trophies. You you, re- you rely on your De Bruyne's to get you through games like this, and he certainly stepped up. Um, <clears throat> you know, Pep gets the better of Arteta once again. What's new? And with that, we'll move on to some of the scores from around the grounds this match week, starting off with... Uh, did, did we cover Man United 2 leads to in the last podcast? No, we did not. We'll cover it again. Manchester United 2 leads to 
Rashford in the 62nd. Well, pardon me. Wilfred Gianotto, which is probably not how you say it, in the very first minute, puts leads up one nothing at Old Trafford. Then a rough over on own goal, which is just, I like that. I appreciate that. <laughs> rough over on. Puts leads up 2 nothing. Arsenal, uh, Man United's title hopes all but gone at this point. But then Rashford and Sancho have something to say about it. Equalize 2-2. Have some chances to win it. Don't take their chances. They drop two points at home to Leeds United. A Jesse Marshallist Leeds United. West Ham 1. Chelsea 1. Another draw for Chelsea Football Club. Uh, they still spend $600 million this year, I'd like to point out. I'm sure I've said it. <laughs> The last week and the week before that, but it, I think it deserves mentioning. Uh, Yao Felix gets on the board in the 16th minute, his first goal for Chelsea, and then they let Emerson score, which is just funny because he's the next Chelsea <laughs> player. Um, in the 28th, and that's how it ended, one-one. Yeah, and of course the uh, beginning of all the VAR drama that happened yes. last weekend, the incredible Sushek save that has to be mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, we didn't even get into VAR because it didn't really mm. take an effect in, in the games we covered. But oh, a little bit with the Barnes one. That was a little questionable. But um, yeah, uh, we'll, and we'll get to Arsenal-Brentford in a couple seconds. But yeah, this one, it was certainly one of the, not a marquee week for VAR. <laughs> Let's say that. That Suchek one was pretty cut and dry. Um, Fulham 2, Nottingham Forest nil. Just a casual... Fulham win a William Screamer in the 17th. Oh, yeah. Just a Golasso from William. William vintage William. Back at his very best. Yeah. I, I, I've already William. given William, I've already given William a little bit of praise, but I feel like he deserves some more on the podcast because he is mm. like uh, coming. I'll say it again. Coming from where he was at Arsenal, which was just, you know, a square. Yeah, ball where, where was this? At, <laughs> like, at Arsenal? What the fuck? Like he was playing, he was either playing, cutting onto his right foot and playing a square ball. Or cutting onto his right foot and whipping across into Lacazette, who just never got his head on the ball. So, like, it, it's just very, very confusing. And now he's literally the driving force for Fulham at 30, 100 years old. It has to be Craven College because the only really good game from William I can remember was his first game where Arsenal won yeah, yeah, nothing yeah. at Craven College and he had like three assists. That's the only Something one I can about, remember. Something yeah. about Fulham. Something about the air. Uh, which is odd because it's not that far from, you know, Amber Stadium. Yeah. Arsenal won, Brentford won. The second consecutive match would be the third uh, with Man City, but the second consecutive match that Arsenal dropped points. Obviously, not even some controversy. Like, just straight up, like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, this isn't even it's like not VAR controversial. controversy. They definitely no, got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'd love to say VAR controversy, but there's no controversy. They fucking forgot to draw the line. And that's a crazy, crazy fucking sentence. Forgot. Like, yeah, what are we doing? I, I'm, I've already like literally like used up all my oxygen, fucking saying what are we doing about this? So I'm, I'm done talking about the this VAR thing. And guess what? The Suchek one was almost as bad. Okay, but that one could technically be controversial. This uh -huh. one is not even controversial. Yeah. <laughs> but either way, Trossard in the 66th, Tony in the 74th, um. Arsenal did not deserve three points in that game. They could have escaped with three points, but yeah. uh, Brentford probably deserved one, if not all three, from that game. So, yeah. I think very was, odd. one of the reasons... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it was a very odd game where 
Arsenal almost deserved to lose, and yet, really, deserved the way things played out, they <laughs> definitely should have won, and they got <laughs> robbed of victory. It's a very, Which makes very me, paradoxical <clears throat> result. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it makes me less upset that Arsenal didn't really deserve all three. Yeah. <clears throat> Crystal Palace won. Brighton won. Nice point for Crystal Palace. Um, Really, you could say Brighton dropped points here because Brighton are just a superior team to Palace at the moment. Superior team to a lot of teams right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, 75% possession, seven shots on goal versus 25% possession and one shot on goal for Crystal Palace. So clearly, Brighton had their way in this game but just couldn't get the ball over the line. Um, Southampton won Wolves 2. Uh, Carlos Alcarez in the 24th. Then a Yad- Jan Begner... Yeah, okay. Ain't that the tennis player? <laughs> Al- Alcaraz? Yeah, I think it is. I think there might be two of them. Jan Bednarek own goal in the 72nd, a Yao Gomez winner in the 87th, and a Mario Lamina red card in the 27th um, to set all of that up. So a nice comeback from Wolves <laughs> down a man um, away from home. But yeah, that, that one was a pretty big one in terms of the, uh, the bottom four bottom six race because now it sinks southampton to 15 points on 22 no it's literally uh, i'm sorry, sorry to interrupt you but it's literally carlos alcarez that is the tennis player oh Same that is first his name, name too okay that yeah is- i guess there's two. <laughs> <laughs> anyway all right continue so the guy who won the u.s open uh opens the scoring for southampton that guy's got not range. enough <laughs> yeah talk about athleticism yeah born with one newcastle one newcastle dropping points here to Bournemouth. Um, Newcastle sitting third, Bournemouth sitting in the relegation zone. Um, but a good point for Bournemouth. Like, scoring against Newcastle this season has been very hard to come by. And they took the lead in the 30th with Marco Sensi. Uh, Almiron, you know, can't go away. Him in the 45th, um, plus two. But, yeah, this is a great point for Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. Then, the second of the Leeds games... Which makes me th- Leeds United May United games. Which makes me think that we did cover uh, the 2-2 in the last one. But it's worth covering anyway. Um, Leeds United nil. Manchester City 2. Who else? Marcus Rashford opened up the scoring in the 80th minute. Then Alejandro Garnacho in the 85th. And that that's just... I don't I hate when that happens because then you got to just hear it on Twitter. Um, Garnacho is the best player post-80th minute in the Premier League. I will stand <laughs> by that claim. <laughs> he turns into like prime hazard once it hits 80th minute. <laughs> yeah, uh, but this was a resilient win for United. They were, you know, knocking on the door for the entire game, but finally the breakthrough comes. It's a nice mentality win for United, um, and certainly their mentality has changed over the course of the season from where it started. But they're rolling, and as long as City are, are stuttering Arsenal, uh, and Man United kind of use that almost like a NASCAR when you when you come behind to like drift because of the air air resistance and then you like yeah. shot in front so they're just drifting behind city now and now all of a sudden they're on 20 they're on 46 arsenal on 51 arsenal they do have a game at hand but arsenal city city stutter arsenal hit a bad run of form united's rolling like i hate to say it but i guess i guess they're uh after we had a moment of silence for united's uh title hopes they're it's been revived It'll be dead in two weeks, just like it <laughs> always has been this season. Something will happen. Anyway. Uh, City 3, Aston Villa 1. Just the casual City win at home against Villa. Rodri in the fourth. 
Gundogan the 39th, Mara's penalty in the 45th plus one, and then Ollie Watkins a consolation in the 61st. Just the classic 70% possession, nine shots on goal for, for City. Got the job done. Nice way to roll into the Arsenal game, which they eventually won. And that rounds out all of the Match Week 23 content we have for this week. Moving on to our Match Week 24 content, starting off. Is this not Match Week 23? This is, we just covered Match Week 23. Next one's Match Week 24. I thought that was Match Week 23. Whatever. (laughs) It's fine. Either way, we're covering (laughs) it. Um... Starting off with our goal picks, if you're unfamiliar with our goal picks competition, it is another season-long competition between me and Ethan. Each week, we look at the upcoming match weeks, and we pick three players that we think are going to score in the upcoming match week. The only catch is the other person can block three players, and if your player is blocked, when your player is blocked, the other person gets to choose that player for you instead of you getting your first choice. Usually, it is Stuart Armstrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you have your picks ready? Uh, well, I can give my picks first. ready, but I'll give an update. Hey, you remember this time? <laughs> uh, I was I was so ready to interject with the update, <laughs> but you did it yourself. Yes. Uh, so no gram was made up, uh, for you this week, but no gram was lost either. One goal apiece from both of us. Mine was courtesy of an Ollie Watkins consolation goal, and yours was courtesy of a very much not consolation goal from Jack Grealish. In the Arsenal game at the Emirates, yeah. one so, meant nothing. Uh, one could possibly have won City the title, but we yes, won't know until later. <laughs> big difference there. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, my other picks of uh, Wakehorse, who for some reason is playing at the ten against Leeds. I guess he's just like <laughs> Zidane now. Whatever, whatever floats Ten Hogs boat. Uh, so yeah, he had two chances to score, didn't. Oh well. Uh, you had Kulisevsky, and again, for some reason, I'm forgetting the other one you picked. If you can remember, uh, maybe. Uh, who cares? They didn't score. Yeah. Well, uh, Stuart Armstrong was my other pick. You, oh, yeah, you blocked Kane. Right. Whatever. All right. So, yes, I do have my picks ready for this week. Oh, wait. The season totals. I'm all over the place. Uh, <laughs> my season total is 18 goals. Brands is 11. Okay. That's it now. All right. Let's get going. Now you can get to your pick. All right, so my first pick is going to be one that on paper seems pretty obvious, slightly obvious. I'm just going to hope you didn't go for it. Uh, Ivan Toney uh, scored last week against Arsenal. I believe he's third in the goal scoring standings. Maybe Rashford is the above relevant goal scoring standings. <laughs> yeah, it's they're competing for second place, really, behind yeah. Holland. But nonetheless, um, Brentford at home against Crystal Palace. Definitely a chance for a Tony goal or two. So sure. he's my first pick. Uh, second one is Alexander Mitrovic. I feel like it's been a while since he's been on the score yeah. sheet. Um, nothing particularly, you know, amazing about this matchup away at the Amex. But definitely a game Mitrovic can score in. And I think he's due for one. And my last pick is going to be a man who currently is in goal-scoring form, and that is Kelechi Iheanacho. Uh, tough matchup uh, away at Old Trafford, one of the most difficult places to play so far this season, but Leicester, four goals in each of the last two respective games. Iheanacho has had three goals in three, I believe, in the Premier League. So he's a man on fire, and so is this Leicester mm. attack. So hopefully he'll get another one. 
So who can I have? You can have all of them. The closest I was to getting it was Barnes. I put Barnes instead of Ianacho. Um But all I had right. Holland, Rashford, and Barnes. I didn't want you to have Holland, and I certainly did not want you to have Marcus Rashford at the moment, who just puts the ball in the net no matter what. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, you can have all three. Alrighty. Three, th- no, no real sneaky picks this week. Kind of three, and but no real like stunners. Three like, you know, B, A, and B tier picks. Mm-hmm. Starting off with uh, Bukayo Saka, um, Aston Villa this weekend. I think he's gonna get on the score sheet. He has been one of the most consistent players in this Arsenal team. Not loving what I'm seeing out of Martinelli at the moment. Not loving what I'm seeing out of Eddie Nketiah at the moment. I think it's going to be Saka at the weekend. Gets it done. Second one is Riyad Mahrez. I, he's always just floating around the goals, and I'm hoping that I catch one this week. Uh, again, only like a 60% chance he starts on any given Saturday, but I'm hoping <laughs> he gets the start, and I'm hoping he gets the win. He'll, he'll see the field, but um, I'm hoping he gets the start. And then third is Darwin Nunez. I, I think it's coming for him. Wow. <laughs> I think I think it's coming for him. I need to I I'm down seven goals in this thing. I need to catch lightning in a bottle a little bit. Uh I'm hoping he fucking I don't know. It clears the ball into the net. I don't know how he'll score, but it'll go in somehow. Who can I have? You can have all three. All I right. certainly didn't think you were picking Darwin Nunez. <laughs> I thought that was the one pick. I was always uh, I never had the block, but hey, desperate times call for desperate measures. Uh, my three picks were Marcus Rashford, James Madison, and Yao Felix. Marcus Rashford, so. James Madison, Yao Felix. Oh, interesting. I was thinking about James Madison or Barnes, but I went with Nunez instead. Um, yeah, I was not thinking about Yao Felix. I I don't like I don't like Chelsea at all. I really don't think they're gonna. They're I thought you may have made an exception. <laughs> hey, you made you made you pick Nunez. Who knows? Yeah. Everyone's on the table now. Might as well just yeah. pick. A bombing next week. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. So it should be a good one. I, uh, I can't remember the last time we both had three, because I usually end up getting blocked at some point. Yeah. But we move on to some match week twenty four predictions. Starting off with Newcastle hosting Liverpool at St James's Park. What do you got? Uh, yeah. With with the Liverpool performance, uh, on Monday, it looks to be a bit more of a compelling game. Uh, Liverpool looked really good against Everton, uh, but right now Newcastle also just look unbeatable. Not necessarily capable of beating other teams, but yeah. certainly difficult to break down. Uh, like I've already said, you know, a dozen times on this podcast, St. James's Park is really difficult place to play. Uh, so it's it's a tough one to predict, but I think Newcastle are due for a big performance. Uh, a team like Liverpool coming to St. James, I think the crowd will be up for it. And Newcastle will certainly want to win. And although Liverpool looked good against Everton, I think this is just going to halt their momentum a bit. So I'm going for a classic 1-0 Newcastle win. 1-0 to Newcastle. Okay. Um... Newcastle been good this season, but looking at their form, draw, 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 win, draw was their last five games. So it's not like they're on the best of form right now. 
I know I think Liverpool are going to play a nil-nil every week, but I think they're going to play a nil-nil this week. <laughs> nil-nil. Liverpool, Newcastle. Manchester United. real creative Le- these days. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm a big nil-nil guy. Once you get it once with Liverpool, Chelsea, you, you never go back. Manchester United hosting Leicester City at Old Trafford. A very tasty picture at the moment. What do you got? Yeah, definitely very tasty. Two teams on red hot form at the moment. I mean, I don't have I already praised Leicester enough this podcast, but going forward, at the very least, they've been really, really good. Uh, so yeah, I think it's gonna be a game with a lot of goals. Uh, I mean, obviously Rashford has to score, so United start one 0 up. But I think it could definitely be a back and forth type of match. I'm gonna go three two United. Three two United. All right, I agree. This is this one, this one definitely should have some goals in it. Uh, definitely over two point five goals. Uh, I just think United got it right now, especially at home. Like you're gonna tell me this Leicester team, the way they've been playing, they've been playing better recently. But I just think United are on such good form right now, especially at home. Uh, three one United. And that will round out our Match Week 24 content. On to our closing segment. A little bit of an American uh, football Super Bowl hurrah for you guys. Yeah. Ethan, would you like Insert to explain? Insert eagle squawk sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> Ethan, would you like to explain? Uh, maybe we should talk about the Super Bowl a little bit. Did you? Yeah. I mean, did you? Um, you, I'm assuming you watched all of it. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, great game. I shouldn't have. Because I had to eat thirty the next morning, and the game ended at four thirty. Um, <laughs> but as a true patriot, I am. I stayed up for the end of it, and mm-hmm. uh, look, there was it holding. Uh, it's not holding when the seat when like the entire championship is going to be decided by it. Yeah. Is it holding in the third quarter of the week two game between the fucking Raiders and the Chargers? Yes, but I don't think it's holding there. That's what I'll say. I don't really care. I was ruined against the Eagles, of course. So, <laughs> oh, holding yeah, or yeah. not. <laughs> Go Chiefs all the way. I'm, like, I'm happy either way. Hey, yeah. Bradbury himself said it was holding. So, oh, it, yeah. I mean, it, if yeah. you look at if there's an angle where he completely rips his jersey, but like, I yeah. still think you can't do that. You just can't call the flag. No, that's, a t- that's a tough call to make. Anyway, enough about the Super Bowl. On to our, cover- our American sports coverage. Go ahead. Yeah, so a long overdue title for a segment, Football versus Football. I'm sure you've (laughs) heard it enough in the World Cup when the U.S. was playing. But yeah, just in honor of the Super Bowl, just going to make some Premier League NFL player comparisons. Braden will have his comments on them. Maybe he thinks he has a more justified comparison than i do but we'll we'll just hop right in so my first one is kevin de bruyne and patrick mahomes uh both are always Gingers, competing i think maybe for is patrick mahomes ginger maybe i don't know no. anyway continue i think so uh both are always competing for titles every year that's that's obvious always both in the mvp slash player of the year debate both of them have a couple to their name. I think Patrick Mahomes is two now. De Bruyne may have two, I think, two, as well. Yeah. Yeah, he had the back to back one. Um 
they always seem to pull off some ridiculous pass that seems impossible. <laughs> the both of them obviously great passes of the ball. And even with plenty of time left in their careers, they're both already legends of their respective league. No matter what happens from this point forward, yeah. Patrick Mahomes, Kevin De Bruyne, both of them are gonna go down as icons. So Yeah. Any uh any criticisms there? <laughs> no, no objections. I mean, like especially with like the championships thing like and like the fact that they're just so consistently good like even when the yeah. team around them isn't good they lift mm-hmm. their team up to elite levels weekly and you rarely yeah. see them have a bad game so yeah i i think it's almost a perfect comparison especially because of the passing like they're just mm-hmm. both distributors of the ball as well so yeah i like it a lot yeah <clears throat> uh so his next one harry Maguire and eli apple uh, <laughs> and it's that and it's not because they're the worst players in their <laughs> position, but they always seem to be getting flamed on Twitter just because the expectations are a little bit higher. I think I think Eli Apple talks a bit more shit than Harry Maguire yeah, yeah, yeah. does, but Harry Maguire always has his eighty million dollar price tag to uh live up to, which of course he never does unless he's playing for England. So uh so yeah, I think that's a relatively simple one there they're they always seem to be making some bad mistakes that they're always under fire for so i uh i i think i have a better one for uh for harry mm-hmm. mcguire kenny galladay oh oh yeah oh yeah that's better just because i don't i think eli apple is like <laughs> such a ridiculous trash talking character and mcguire's mm-hmm. just like not that despite the the mikonos thing like yeah he's just not really that i think kenny galladay the fact that he was getting paid like a top five wide receiver in the league drops passes like crazy has like one good performance in three years i think kenny galladay is kind of like the perfect harry Maguire get comparison yeah no definitely yeah you uh hit the nail on the head there yeah, <laughs> definitely yeah kenny galladay it's a much more just comparison that wasn't my strongest one but i think this next one is a very very like for like comparison and that is gino smith and Miguel Almiron. Okay. And Geno Smith just won Comeback Player of the Year uh, at the NFL Awards just prior to the Super Bowl. And if there was a Comeback Player of the Year award in the Premier League, I believe that that award would go to Miguel Almiron. <laughs> Almiron has been pretty ineffective as a starter for Newcastle in the three, yeah. I think it's three years he's played for Newcastle before the start of the season, yeah. maybe two and a half. But wasn't really a big factor and then just completely out of nowhere yeah just pops off just starts scoring goals for fun uh so yeah and similarly with Geno Smith had high expectations coming into the league never really quite impressed and then all of a sudden gets a starting role in the Seahawks and leads them to the playoffs when nobody expected they could go that far similarly with Newcastle nobody expected Newcastle would you know be pushing for Champions League but Look where they are now. So yeah, I uh, I I like it. I think there's a lot of players you can throw up with a uh, mm-hmm. comeback player of the year. I think maybe Greta Jaka maybe fits into that to that yeah. role a little bit. I think maybe William fits into that role. I'm kind of thinking mm-hmm. of players that have kind of just bounced around a lot, like Geno yeah. Smith has, Jets, Giants, you know, mm-hmm. all that shit. Um, but yeah, Williams bounced around a lot, hasn't had some good seasons, and then kind of finds his form with Fulham. But yeah, I think uh, Almiron's probably the best of those examples 
Um, the other one I was thinking of for that was Alexander Mitrovic, just because similar Geno Smith, he's had so many chances to like really prove himself yeah, and yeah, never yeah. quite did it. And then this season, like he finally, yeah, you know, lived up to expectations. But I think I, anyway. if I'm doing Alexander Mitrovic, I think I would do like, um, fuck, who's the, who's the, uh, the fucking fuck the QB with the beard. Who's now uh, Oh Fitzpatrick? Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah. That's oh, what, yeah. when I think of uh-huh. Mitchovich, I think of Fitzpatrick. Where he's just like never plays for a good team, but throws for like three hundred yards a game and three touchdowns mm-hmm. and like just has like really good seasons for like irrelevant teams and just goes down as like a legend. Like that's what I think of when I think of Mitchovich. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that could continue. be like that could be like Danny Yings by the end of his career. Yeah, he's yeah, just yeah, like yeah, bouncing yeah. around Southampton the villa, maybe West Ham if he makes a good impact, maybe. Yeah. Okay. I like that. So this one is actually not a player to player comparison. The only one not on here. And that's Russell Wilson and Grandfather. Uh, (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm sure you can see where this is going. But (laughs) both of them were supposed to be the guys who turned around their respective franchise or club, paid big money to bring him in. And. In the end, they just ended up performing even worse after the big move. Their team, the team they went to was much worse off, and the team they left ended up being far better than the one yeah. they went to. Obviously, Brighton are sitting three places, four places above Chelsea in the table right now. The Broncos, who are supposed to be definite playoff contenders with Russell Wilson, never even came close to the playoffs, and the Seahawks made it to the playoffs, to the wild card round. Yeah. So I think this was, I mean, honestly, I was thinking about doing Russell Wilson in every single Chelsea signing, but I thought I'd, <laughs> I thought I'd narrow down to yeah. grandfather just because the, uh, just because it was bright. And maybe Mark Cucurella I could have used if I wanted a direct yeah. player, the player yeah. comparison, but you get the gist here. Sure. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm thinking like, I'm trying to see if you can do a, a Premier League player for it. I was thinking maybe like a bombier. I'm trying to think of like guys who like came like veterans who came in for big money expecting to like you know put their influence on the team and it ended up mm-hmm. going south. But maybe a bombier, but a bombier didn't honestly come in for that much money and he's I yeah. know, wasn't that great at Barcelona, the expectations so. weren't as high. <laughs> yeah. Uh should we do a, an owner comparison Todd Bowley and uh Jerry Jones? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two Americans that like splashing cash. On, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming a new stadium coming for Chelsea, so that would even make it, mm. uh, you know, more like for like. But anyway, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, and getting into the final comparison here, I have Josh Allen and Harry Kane. Oof. Both, both these players are undoubtedly amongst the best in their respective leagues, and they both play for a team of high quality. Yet neither of them have a trophy or player of the year slash MVP award to show for it. Yeah. And I think it's that comparison and the parallels between Bills and Spurs are uncanny <laughs> in terms of <laughs> bottling. <laughs> Just being unable to win a trophy. That um, is actually so fucking funny. They haven't yeah. even been to a Super Bowl. What, the Bills? Yeah. No, the Bills have oh, been... Not- the Bills went to four Super Bowls and lost four oh, in a row. Yeah, but I'm talking about with uh with uh, with Josh Allen. Oh, with Josh Allen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just like 
it's the history of the Tottenham, the history of the <laughs> Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, so definitely a lot of parallels there. Both both franchises slash yeah. clubs, whatever you want to call them, just can't seem to win a trophy. And I don't think it'll it'll hinder the – it could hinder the player's legacy. I mean, they'll obviously yeah. be respective once they're retired, but sure. – who knows if either of these great players will have something, some silverware to show for at the end of their career, which is Absolutely. sad to think about, yeah. but we'll see. I mean, you want to talk about, like, <clears throat> individual players hurting legacies? Fucking Patrick Mahomes. Like, he is single-handedly bringing down Josh Allen's legacy. If not for that motherfucker, yeah. like, they might have two uh, Super Bowls by now. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I love that comparison, though. The Bills to the Spurs. It's just, it's too fucking, it's too funny. It really is. Yeah. Especially with like their like main man being like a standout who is never the best player in the league because yeah. of somebody else, just very very funny. Yeah, Allen Diggs, Kane and Son, like it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I could Son and Diggs, I could see that comparison all the way. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, that will round out our podcast for this week. Match week twenty four upcoming, some tasty fixtures coming up. But with that, we will say goodbye. Adios. See ya.